This series of the Make Life Work podcast is supported by Little Warden. They monitor your website for the boring things that people often forget until it's too late, so you can concentrate on making more. Plans start from £25 a month, but Make Life Work listeners get an exclusive 60-day free trial, plus all the referrals will be doubled, especially for the mental health charity Mind. Get your account today at littlewarden.com slash makelifework. Welcome along to another episode of the Make Life Work podcast. I am Cy Jobling at Cy on Twitter and for this series I'm talking to people from around the tech scene about balancing work, life, well-being and side projects. This week I'm talking to Naomi White, a brand designer from Newcastle, UK. Naomi has been on a fascinating journey with her career over the past 15 years, establishing herself as a reputable designer with spin-off side projects along the way. So I thought she'd be an ideal guest for this podcast. Let's get into it. Welcome along, Naomi. Thank you so much. Hi, Simon. I am okay. It's Friday. <laughs> Friday, as a lot of people call it. Yeah. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. Um, new year, new starts and all that um so oh, yeah yes. really good thanks excellent so new year uh any big goals you've got for this year oh my word too many yeah far too many yeah. um i think i do that usual thing of you know making that massive long list and it's far too long and then feeling bad about yourself at the end of the year when you've only checked two of them off so how long are you talking are we talking 10 goals more well i'm quite a um prolific list maker in that i make a big point but then unfortunately that ends up being 10 sub points and right. then those sub points have you know sub lists and yeah, it ends up yeah uh completely unachievable so uh <laughs> if i get anywhere close to the high level main list i'll be happy excellent so if you can tick off the top level list you're okay but yeah. after that uh, yeah yeah i think we all fall into that trap my tip on that one is write down as much as you want then screw it up Throw it away and do the top three that you come back to mind. <laughs> yeah. Because they're the, they're the important ones that you will remember. Right, I might try that after this. I've been doing that a few times for the last couple of weeks. Got off tangent already. We warned about this in the starting way. <laughs> <laughs> so as I mentioned in the intro, you've been on a, an amazing journey finding your sort of niche in brand design. Can you tell us about that path that got you there? Why you focused on design specifically and what attracted you to like digital design as well? Yeah, of course. Obviously, without going through my entire career, I did a multimedia design at um, university. But it touched base on a bit of everything. <laughs> we did sound design, web design, graphic design but we didn't really do anything too in-depth <laughs> animation so when I was to move into the industry I didn't really know what I wanted to do and I was really fortunate enough to have a couple of interviews before I'd even graduated and I got my first job at um, what is now a very large agency called Think uh, which is based up here in Newcastle upon Tyne but they're now also based in London and yeah, I started, so I, I got the job. I got The interview was successful and I got the job before I'd even graduated. So when I started there, there was only seven of us, um, miraculously. Wow. Um, now it's obviously, I don't know how many numbers, but I'd guess at least 150, they're, 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 they're blazing ahead now. Um, my first job kind of led me into what would be the start of my career, which was mainly web design at that time. And working with some great people around UI, um, I went and did a, a UX course at the, at the University of Sunderland as well. And yeah, really got into 
uh, you know, UX and UI um, through that role. Um, it was, it was, you know, it taught me a lot. But I worked there for three years and I got a bit itchy. Uh, got itchy feet and uh, decided to move to London as we all do when we're from the north we think we need that bigger experience um, and don't get me wrong I don't regret it I'm obviously now back up in the north but I don't regret going down Um I wanted to work with those bigger clients uh, and also wanted a, a, a bit of a shift of scenery so I actually moved down uh, I worked with an advertising agency um, which was a WPP company at the time uh, good technology they're called they're not around anymore um, but yeah huge company massive change uh, and, and shift in in role um, and yeah wanted to take in exactly what happens with those bigger wider TV ads coming down into digital it was great but unfortunately the role wasn't quite right for me so in advertising I learned the hard way that you get um, pairings of designer and copywriter and those pairings then you know come up with all of the awesome creative ideas and then unfortunately the single designers like myself end up artworking them so <laughs> it wasn't exactly uh, what I thought I was signing up for so we had lots of com had lots of conversations with them uh, they were a great company really lovely team well multiple teams but really lovely team who I work with and uh, they really did try and shift my role within the organization but unfortunately there just wasn't quite the right role I was looking for there so I ended up moving on after well after six months I started looking for new opportunities and nine months later I moved on to Bostock and Pollitt which is now Pollitt and Partners in Covent Garden and they're, they're a branding agency I've been around since the 80s extremely good at what they do and I loved it I really really loved it there so I worked on the digital side um, because back then it was still very split down the middle and I had to, you know, persuade the uh, the brilliant brand designers there that digital actually was just as important and just a biggest part of the story of the brand as, you know, what they were doing. It was it was a wonderful role. I loved it there. Took in everything that I could through all three agencies, obviously. And then uh, after working at Bostock and Pollitt for two and a half years, so decided to, okay, maybe um, I could do, you know, something for myself because as much as I'd learnt fantastic and wonderful things through these agencies, I'd also seen everything that I wouldn't want to do with a client. Um, as much as I love and respect those agencies, you know, I saw the typical agency model, if you like, nothing to do with the specific agencies that I work for, but the specific agency model, I think, uh, you know, in my experience, I've just seen lots of flaws. We've all gone through them, <laughs> no matter what, 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 if we're on the design or the dev side, but having the multiple layers, for example, of account managers in the middle, talking to clients and feeding things back and vice versa, it never worked for me. So I was always one of those pain in the neck designers, if you like, who would just argue their way into client meetings because it didn't work you know I, I, I didn't want that I didn't want the lack of uh, communication with the client and um, things get diluted they're not communicated in the right way one tiny little thing might have been missing from that explanation and that shifts the whole creative idea or the you know the way that we start to to build out uh, a website for example so yeah, so I kind of got the itch to think, well, okay, um, I'd really actually love just to work one-on-one -on -one with clients. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Very nice. I like, I like the fact that you've been through agency work the hard way. And you enjoyed it at times, right? I get it. But yeah, yeah there are certain um, anti-patterns, I think, to what we do in the, in the design and agency world that really put people off working in it. And as you found out, there, there are certain quirks you wanted to work around. 
So, yeah, I'm, I, as someone who works in-house in a company, I work closely with product managers that are similar to, like, you know, brand designers, I guess. They've got a vision of what they want to do. But when it starts diluting through people, the message gets lost, the relationship gets broken, and you don't have that real relationship about what you're making is for and what it's for. So is that what your motivation was to go, I, I want to do this differently now? Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, don't get me wrong, agencies are fantastic. They, they work. That's why there are so many of them. And that's why yeah. they are competition to me these days. <laughs> you know, you know, a lot of the clients that I work with don't know whether they actually want to work with an agency or they want to work with an individual. It's, it mm. is a, it's a very different process. It's a very obviously cost wise it's very different as well so you know there's arguments on both sides and I do the agency model works for a lot of people but yeah for me personally it's definitely a, a motivation for, for starting my own business yeah okay so well, let's jump ahead a little bit now so it was about 2010 when you went off and did your own thing which is yeah. wow 10 years ago yeah, it's my 10 year anniversary this summer and I, it's, I, I can't believe it. It's very scary. I mean, the t- I sound very old when I say this, but the typical thing of, you know, the older that we get, the faster time seems to disappear and, you know, we're 40 before we know it. But it's been a wonderful 10 years and it's been a real roller coaster of up and downs, which I'm sure we'll get into. But 10 years. Yeah. Wow. Um, but I've worked, worked with some really, really fantastic clients over that time and it's been a lot of fun. And um uh, yeah, I just got asked yesterday, actually, <laughs> why haven't I grown the business out into an agency? And I get asked a lot by, you know, my my friends and peers as well of, you know, do you not want to grow that out? My answer to that is, I love what I do, but I also love the way that I work. So I've continued to work one-on-one with clients throughout. Obviously, I don't do absolutely everything myself. So I partner up with other fantastic studios, individuals in, you know, throughout the industry, whether that be other designers, illustrators, developers, uh, animators. I partner with people all the time, but I pull together really small bespoke teams for specific clients and for specific projects. And I love doing that because the client gets the best of both worlds because they get to work one-on-one with me all the time on their only contact, but then the budget is there, for example, for um, extending a brand out, um, you know, with a wonderful illustrator, then that's, you know, obviously what I'm going to recommend and we pull someone in who hopefully maybe I've worked with before, or at least I know they have the reputation and the experience to know what they're doing uh, well, you know, so I'm not putting the burden on the uh, on the client at all. I know that, that you know they're a wonderful person to work with and trusted. Um, so that's worked really well for me over the years, and I, I wouldn't want to change it. I really love, you know, this podcast is all about balancing work and life, and it is a lifestyle choice at the end of the day. I'm not motivated by money. I'm motivated by the passion of wanting to do good on behalf of my clients. That's the key, really. I love the fact you've just mentioned the word good there as well. <laughs> so you, as you say, you've you've been doing this for 10 years now. I think you re- rebranded last year, was it? I did, eventually. The, the, the branded by Naomi, lovely meta yeah. name. But in your tagline, it's we create captivating brand systems for social good businesses. And it's that final bit that really caught my attention because I, I, I love the fact you've focused in on something that you will feel passionate about. You won't feel dirty for work signing up to clients that you can't quite agree with their morals. Exactly. Was there any sort of examples over the last 10 years which made you realise this is what I want to do and I need to make that clear to all my clients going forward? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I've been fortunate enough that when I, so one of my very first jobs, when I was at Bostock and Pollitt, I worked on uh, the Macmillan website. So I led the team that did a full website redesign for Macmillan Cancer Research. Um, it was wonderful. And I worked with a particular manager at the time uh, called Thomas. And Thomas, he then moved to breast cancer care, which is now regrouped with someone else and called something completely different. Um, but breast cancer care at the time, uh, Thomas had moved over there. He approached Bostock and Pollitt and said, is there any way that we can work with you for breast cancer care? They said, unfortunately, you know, uh, conflict of interest, we can't do that. However, they were good enough to say, Naomi's actually going out on her own. So why don't you speak with her? And he was like, great, because that's who I actually wanted to work with because the two of us had worked together on that project. So I was fortunate enough that one of my first projects was for breast cancer care. Now, it was completely on the web side of things. There was no branding at that point in my company. It was very much, you know, they hired me for um, a web redesign and, you know, all of the, the lovely content stuff that comes around that. But I was fortunate enough to start there. And because of that work, but also because of having a lot of contacts within that industry, I worked with a lot of charities and nonprofits in the early days, scattered in with a few companies that did random things like um, dentistry hardware, for example, was an early one, <laughs> um, which was B2B, not, you know, wasn't the, the typical B2C, it was B2B, it was very internal, it was very techy. But I was still fortunate enough that throughout my 10 years, I've always, at one time, pretty much I've always had a charity, social enterprise or nonprofit on the go as a client and it's just been a constant string and I've really really enjoyed that work more than anything else so yes as part of the rebrand and repositioning last year I was really keen to shift over to only working with social good businesses now of course there's lots of other businesses that come into that so at the moment I'm working on two rebrands at the moment one is for a company called Social Engine um, down in London and they do wonderful work in gathering evidence um, behind social behavior to then help progress society if you like so we're still working on their strap line you can tell uh, <laughs> but um they uh, so they work with all sorts of people they work with councils they work with the the fire brigade for example on evidence around why people um why house fires start and trying right. to help understand the social behavior around it to then try and get to the crux of the problem. Then on the other hand, they work with a council and the, the forestry board, for example, on why people are dropping litter. So, you know, you've got a completely social good company there, you know, finding the evidence, bringing together groups of people, um, doing all of that research and, and re doing huge reports on it. I mean, these reports are really, really substantial. Right. And then on the other end of the spectrum, my other client I'm working with is actually a local client, which I don't work with local people very often, which is mm. ironic, but they're up here in, in Newcastle and they work with food data. And Ooh. so they work with um, manufacturers, wholesalers, caterers and retailers, and they are a hub for food data so obviously with all of the issues that we've had especially in the last few years with uh, allergy sufferers and people unfortunately eating something that's then caused their death for example we've had a lot of laws change over the last few years and they are there as the one place that you can go where they gather all of the data from all of the manufacturers on every single individual product that they make that they create in fact in their factories Ooh. and they share that across the rest of the food industry 
So it is B2B, but actually <laughs> myself and Rose who are working on it are just, you need the consumers to know about you as well, mm. because what they're doing is really, really, it's saving lives, but obviously their their core audience is the food industry themselves and the businesses, but they are doing wonderful, wonderful work. So yeah, so as much as um, charities and nonprofits have been, you know, a, a lot of my client base, then I've been fortunate enough to, there are a hell of a lot of social good businesses out there um, really trying to change things and progress things, whether it's in the food industry or whether it's, you know, for the local councils, for example. That's really interesting. Your first project you talked about there, bringing together all that sort of social engineering stuff from around the local councils. I remember when I started pretty much my career, actually, in the fire service back in 2003. It's going way back. Were you um, in the fire service? Uh, yeah, I worked in their tech department, working on uh, on the website, on the internal tools. Oh, you but don't one even of the, think uh, about that, do you? You don't think about the other people behind the scenes. Aside. Exactly. And there, there was a huge group of people working on stuff. The first project they gave me was to create a brand for the Arson Task Force. So it was working with the police and the fire services to kind of establish a bit of a brand a bit of a direction and how to promote themselves and I, I love that work like you it's just you, you feel good you're giving back to society you, you can't find fault in what you're trying to do there because it's preventing crime and fires and all the other good stuff you're trying to do so I relate to that and I remember how I enjoyed that work then you got you start doing more b2b retail stuff you're like oh this doesn't feel right working in insurance for example that was not the finest time of my life not I don't think anyone can say insurance is in it for the right reason. But yeah, that conflict and of interest and, you know, switching between different brands. I like the fact you've got the luxury of just choosing to work with these people now. So do you find they come to you or do you go out to tender to them or is it a bit of a mix for you? I don't know how it works. Simon, I've been absolutely terrible at self-promotion my entire 10 years. Well, I'm sure we'll get into that more, but... Um... I've been really, really bad. And that was part of the reason I did the rebrand last year as well. I mean, I had zero, you know, people didn't know my work. They, you know, you'd look me up and you'd find a couple of photos from speaking events that I'd been at, but that was it. You know, my work wasn't out there. And that's always really frustrated me because I am a workaholic. I do not stop. So the realization hit last year that I really, (laughs) I needed to focus and really get, uh, get what I do out there. Um, a lot better as as you know we all we all do it we all say it our, our own brand and our own um work is the last thing that we look at we do put clients first and I have put clients but I still do obviously um mm-hmm. but I needed to actually take some time out last year I took a good two to three month chunk out to do uh you know to, to do this repositioning because it is it is really important and I can't expect to work with, you know, specific people like I'm talking about if I don't have, you know, the right tools out there to showcase what we do. But yeah, I've been fortunate enough that they've all come to me because I've been pretty invisible. <laughs> um, and yeah. a lot of it, a lot of the work and a lot of the clients I've worked with has been word of mouth. So it's been, right. you know, I've worked with someone and that's led to working with someone else. And I think that's the wonderful thing with working with clients one-on-one. You don't really get that in agency land. You know, we we end up pitching for things over and over again and going up against the same people and pitches. I haven't done a pitch since Breast Cancer Care, since that wow. first that first uh, project. Well, you're not had to, have you? It's great. No, no, I think um, because the re- your reputation precedes that. I mean, if, if someone wants to, if they've been recommended you, 
and they've seen the work that you've done for someone else and they're impressed it tends to just happen as long as the price is right obviously naturally right you've got you've got <laughs> value right there's a couple of things you mentioned in there actually i want to put a pin in the one about taking a time out we'll talk about that in a moment there was a, you also mentioned about the talking the, the, doing the conference scene so this was this must be going back 10 years or so i reckon now maybe a bit more what got you into that and how did you find the whole conference world as it were speaking world yeah it's a funny one um i kind of fell into it and to be honest i think i fell into it for the wrong reasons if you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. I get it. But... It's, it's interesting because I, I, I was a conference goer from right at the beginning of my career. Like when I was still at university, I was going to conferences and, and throughout um, my years at Think. And I was always very, I was a very quiet person who would sit at the back, take lots of notes, then take those notes back to my agency and do a presentation um, on them back to everyone else so that yeah. everyone else could learn. Obviously asking those agencies to pay, pay for me to go as well, which was nice at the time. But so I'd I'd spent a good six years, at least six years, going to these conferences before, you know, actually starting to speak to half of the people that were there and speak to other speakers and that kind of thing. And the more friends that I made within these conferences, the more I got encouraged by the conference organisers to speak because I'm relatively confident. <laughs> so... I kind of got coerced by, uh, I think, yeah, spe- uh, organisers of speaking events to what, give it a go, do it. And I do, looking back, I've actually, ta- I actually have taken a break from speaking in the last three or so years. Um, I have, uh, I've come back to it um, just this last December, and I may have some something in the pipeline this year. But I actually took a break from it because I realised I wanted to level up the way that I go about speaking. Because right. it's one thing to, it's fantastic PR, obviously, and you meet amazing people and it's an amazing environment. But unless I get at least 50% of that audience taking something good from that talk, um, taking inspiration, taking motivation, feeling driven from it, or taking some, you know, two or three key messages home that they're then going to put into practice there isn't then any point in me being there because that's just self-obsessive. That's just me being there for my own reasons and my own PR rather than the good of the audience. So yeah, I didn't ever do a lot of speaking for that reason because I, well, (laughs) aside from this, I'm not a, when I say I'm relatively confident, I am I am in the way that I come across, but obviously like the majority of us, I have a lot of self-doubt that goes on and I'm never ever happy with what I do. So as much as I'm saying this, this is just, uh, you know, there's this part of me that is an inner critic all the time. So some of the talks, you know, have gone much better than others. Um, some have had a lot more effort put in than others. And, you know, a lot of people have taken some really good things from them. But I'm always my worst critic and always want to do better. And I just I got to a point with it that, you know, I wasn't doing loads, probably one or two a year, but I'd done enough that... I knew that actually now it's time it's time for a break and time to reconsider exactly the kinds of messages that I want to push out there. So I guess that was a good opportunity for you to take that break that you talked about the, the two or three months reposition yourself in the market think about your brand your message who you are what your core morals are and all this sort of stuff and then out comes Branded by Naomi. Exactly Exactly. So yeah, branded by Naomi and, you know, working with social good businesses and yeah, a few other side projects, which I suppose are similarly in line with uh, with the morals that sit within the company too. 
Nice. So before we go into the, the upcoming projects, back in the day, you created a shop in Newcastle called Who's It and What's It? Great name. Hard to say, but great name. When when we say it sounds very Geordie, Who's It and What's It? It does. Yeah, it definitely needs the accent, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not my drove Midlands accent. Um, so, yeah, what sort of provokes that idea? Because I love what you were trying to do. You were trying to bring together like nearby creatives that weren't digitally minded. It was real tangible things uh, that didn't get the platform. So can you tell us a bit about, you know, where that came from and where it went? Yeah, of course. It's a very long story, so I'll try and keep it a bit shorter. We've got five seconds. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Good luck with that. Um, in late uh, 2012 I start I've been working for clients obviously for a good two and a half years ish and really loved what I did but with our work being so digital and often shifting online as soon as you put it out as we all know how it goes I felt like there was a bit of a gap in what I did and and like much of us where we have our kind of day job and our passion and our skill set of what we're good at what we're experienced in and what we make money from there's this side itch of I love tangible design I love product design I also love renovations and buildings okay. <laughs> but that, that comes into it but uh, I love a physical space and physical product and it, it ended up morphing into a much bigger idea than what I first thought of oh well maybe I should start you know designing some physical product it actually um, morphed into a much bigger almost legacy kind of idea of building a community for independent designers that sell physical product that we all knew really well within the industry um, but that the general public don't know so I started to think about could I create a physical retail store that wasn't the typical physical retail store but that sold a wonderful physical product from independents and brought those to the high street rather than you know the, the the bigger chains and all of the things that we're used to seeing. So I started to look at buildings and I started to do a lot of research and collating of you know how does the normal wholesale model work that kind of thing and and kind of started to get really <laughs> really excited about the fact or annoyed about the fact I should say that the wholesale model really isn't uh, some people it works for but to me the wholesale model is, is a bit dirty like it, it it doesn't give back enough to the creators the makers the designers um, or illustrators, it takes much more and the retailers need a lot of money um, to be able to keep that retail business going. So because of that, I decided to, I decided to, uh, started wondering about models and what about if we shifted away from the wholesale model and we created a subscription model where designers uh, could pay a very small monthly fee like 30 pounds for example and they would could get a whole number of products or a range within the store and then for that we would give them 100% of their profit back so it's like um, us basically being a silent partner um, mm. being there as a store front for these people but giving them the, the the majority if not all the of the profit back aside from card fees if people pay on card mm. for example so I started to get really passionate about it, obviously, and then I got led into looking at buildings, look at, looking at opportunities. The 
potential for the model meant that we needed something big um, for it to work because we needed a whole number of products in um, to make the model work. High street stores and retail is, I mean, I can understand why, you know, you know, the saying of the high streets are dying. I don't believe mm. that they are. I think um, behaviours are shifting um, and they've shifted rapidly, which looks, you know, has caused some businesses to fail because they haven't been quick enough on the digital pickup of things. But at the time, you know, we're talking 2012, 13, it was pretty dire up here as well in the northeast. And the high street did feel very sad almost mm. um so i did a lot of research looked into it um ended up going for a building on the quayside which is in more of the tourist area than the than the high street um because it was uh, actually affordable <laughs> um wow. but also we got a lot of tourism and we have like the baltic shop over the river which is you know a big um modern gallery and shop underneath which people love and um you know the tourism down there's huge and there's also a sunday market every every sunday obviously Anyway, yeah, so trying to move forward quick. We got in there. Um, I did massive renovations with all of my family and friends. It took us a hell of a long time um, to get open. Um, we had all sorts of issues, but we got it open in December 2014, yep. just before Christmas, like the 1st of December was our opening day. And yeah, we uh, I ran it, I, I co-ran it alongside my design business. So you can imagine how mental that was. I mean, it was 18 hour days, I was at the store uh, 12, uh, yeah, from 8 till 8 um, in the early days because I didn't know when the busier times would be because we were a one-off. We were a retail shop in the middle of restaurants. So how, you know, we, we needed to know what the hours would be like. So we had to open, you know, for a longer period of to tell. People really loved it. We um, we got really, really great feedback. The, the public really loved it. And, um, and luckily for designers, it... it the majority of them, it worked really well. The model worked well. One of our highest sellers, for example, is a, one of, now one of my best friends, um, Al Wardle. He runs Any40 and he's an independent streetwear brand. Um, and yeah, they they did ex he did extremely well. You know, his sales were always you know really really decent every month. And then it was only paying the thirty pound fee. So, um, in comparison to his other retailers, he was making a lot more money through us than he was through others. So, it was great. It was working. The sad part of the story <laughs> is that unfortunately because I didn't have a huge amount of financial backing it was friends and family um, I ran a really awful um, not particularly good Indiegogo campaign that after costs probably only made us about £2,000 which you know didn't touch anything it was wonderful and I'm really grateful for everyone who who supported me through it um, but it was a big ask because unless you were in Newcastle of course you know we weren't selling you know, we weren't selling a specific product. We weren't trying to take something to market. It was a place we were trying to create. So it was a big ask. The business, who isn't what's it, was dependent on me, on, on the income that I made from Branded by Naomi, which, um, so it was, it, it was difficult to say the least. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, because my time was so split as well, I think it was part of the problem. I had two really really big projects to massive projects fall through mm. and unfortunately the remuneration with those also fell through so I was kind of left at this point where we'd been open over a year and a half we were doing really well we the subscribers were up to about 160 180 subscribers it was really really great in terms of you know the, the amount of designers that we had selling there but 
I just couldn't make ends meet. Unfortunately, the cost obviously of running a physical store and, and then at that point I'd, I'd tried to staff it only with two members of staff, but to try and be able to come out to then put the concentration that was needed on my design work, to work on those to then bring in the money to do it. And yeah, unfortunately it just, the money didn't work out. And yeah, I unfortunately had to put my everything as I called it at the time, um, and still think of it as in a way um, into li- voluntary liquidation. And right. it was it was a really, really tough time, really tough. And to be honest, I think after that, that was in August of 2016. So, so yes, yeah, since then, since that 2016 to 2019, those three years, it kind of took me the three years up until last year to really sort myself out and know what I wanted to do. And so it was a long um, recovery. Mm, I'll bet. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I worked with some brilliant people in between. I did a, uh, was a, a part-time head of creative for Child.org, um, a fantastic charity in London who work, they have a team in London and a team in Kenya, and they work with um, babies and children and mums over in Africa, and they, they do wonderful work. And I also worked for a year setting up and being the lead designer for Little Inventors, which is by Dominic Wilcox, if you know him, working with uh, kids and turning kids' invention ideas into physical, real things. And so I worked with them on building the brand from scratch. Um, and then we, we also then did a, a book together as well, the first um, book, Little Inventors book that went out. And other designers doing them now, I think they've got others in the pipeline, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> nice. Um, I love helping people build, you know, build the foundations, build the structure of things and then, yeah, let them run, run with it. So, yeah, so I did some amazing things in between that time, that recovery time um, and, you know, things that I'll never regret. But it wasn't until last year that I really sat down and had to have a, a big think about, okay, look, I'm still working with wonderful clients, but I need to consolidate this I need to understand exactly where I want to be how I want to be perceived and who I want to work with so right there's a lot in that obviously (laughs) no no it's good it's a nice five minute version of it I guess so yeah you went through the the joys of building something that you really wanted to do and it generally was for the greater good right it It wasn't just self-satisfaction it was part of that but it was for everyone to benefit from Obviously, you had all that effort to build the products, uh, who's it, what's it, store, and it did all right, but it didn't have long legs on it, basically. That's what we came down to. You had to take the pain of saying goodbye at some point, but your recovery was getting back into the stuff you enjoy again, so building brands with people that you love working with as well. So it sounds like you've you've worked out how to give yourself joy and what you're stronger, uh, which actually brings... You know, it's, it's, it's got legs, it's got longevity on it as well. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. I, it's a difficult one because, you know, I, I worked with, I continued to work with brilliant clients all the way through. And I did, you know, I loved the store and I loved, I loved the community aspect of it. And I think mm. that's the only thing now that um, only working on branded by Naomi, that's what I then sometimes miss out on is that community side. So that's probably something that I'm looking to extend out again in future okay so i think that probably goes into the next part of what's coming up you know you've you've now you've had some side projects you've got your brand back into a shape you're happy with have you got any other side projects that you've got on the horizon that you'd like to talk about 
Uh, yeah, so I am currently working with, so another side of the business that's really, really helped and been working really well recently is I've partnered with um, Rose Radka. She's a fantastic creative writer and she's brilliant at the verbal strategy of, of, of a brand. So we now partner on everything that we do. We we love working together and we, we improve on each other <laughs> and from each other. So we... Um, we work together as a team now and she takes the lead on the verbal strategy of the brand and I take the lead on the visual side. Um, and it's wonderful because we do really, really immersive, lovely workshops with clients and, you know, we do stakeholder interviews and lovely, wonderful work and, and I love it. She is just as passionate as I am about side projects and wanting to, you know, progress society in the same way as I am. And, um, you know sometimes to our detriment with the current political climate <laughs> but um someone's got to try yeah so we often have lots of really great um ranty conversations outside of you know our, our working <laughs> our working environment and um yeah so one of the things that we are actually working on is a publication that we are going to be pushing out hopefully in around april time which is it's driven from our kind of activisty side and it's just to support an area of our industry that we see, you know, we see lacking, we see um, we're a bit frustrated by. So, yeah, watch this space. Um, I don't want to say too much um, because we're still working on the positioning. So she'll probably tell me off because I'll say it all wrong. Um, but um yeah, we're um, we're really excited about that. So yeah, hopefully about April we're going to bring out like a mini self-published, you know, publication, a zine if you like. Um, okay. And uh, we're super excited about that, and we're hoping that we're going to just help support some people and also build a little bit of a community again around it. And that's you know a remote community; it's not a physical one. But um, but yeah, we all, we all need a little bit of love. Oh, that sounds wonderful. It reminds me a little bit of Eight Faces. Do you remember that? Yeah. Uh, Elliot J. Stock set up, was that 10 years ago now? Must be. But the idea of just bringing together the community that you know so well and are passionate about, creating a tangible thing that you can share. And it does work. You might not have, you know, a huge future, but it's something you can just enjoy for a, a period as well. So I'm... I, we won't go into too much because I know you don't, we can't share too much just yet, but I, I will definitely hold due account to that. You mentioned you obviously partner with Rose on all your work. So as someone who works as a freelancer in isolation a lot, I imagine, do you find that gives you an opportunity to share your thoughts and offload when you need to as well? Having people like that around you? Absolutely. It's so good to have a, a partner in crime on things again. Um uh, we, another shift as well that I've just done is I've just moved into an office space instead of working from home, uh -huh. um, so, which is uh, great. <laughs> I'll bet. Yeah, I mean, I've, um, well, we're probably going to talk about this, but um, the last few years have been very strange for me because I have been living between and traveling between the UK and Canada um, for the entire last three to four years because I met my now husband and he was Canadian and uh, still is but <laughs> we absolutely had to be you know working from home both of us had to work from home because that was our only choice because we were spending you know eight twelve weeks as long as we could manage at each other's homes um yeah. and you know there's no way that was we could fit an an office or other outside working into that as well 
financially but also just physically it just didn't make sense it wouldn't work and both of us um james has actually run his agency for exactly the same amount of times really strange he also founded in july of 2010 <laughs> so wow. we have both worked from home for a, for a good while james fortunately we finally got him over here last august and he's now living here um which is amazing and then bless him i uh landed it on him with literally within a couple of weeks of being here so i think we should get an office space <laughs> and uh, you know before even his uh you know ferry load of things had arrived in the country um but anyway we looked at a number of spaces and we we both love it now so we share a a, a workspace outside of home and honestly work-life balance has been so much better since we've got it i have not wanted to work on my client work when i come home there is a, a dividing a physical divide now which I uh, really really love so yeah so that's helped a lot <laughs> I'll bet I mean I love the fact you've got a shared interest as well you both do digital design by trade and by passion so it must be really hard to turn off though when you go home if you if you've now got this co-shared space you can you can confine your work to that time but taking it home and turning it off must be really tricky yeah we don't really switch off from it i mean we but in a positive sense of yes there's the stuff we do for clients which now can stay in the office which is lovely but then outside of that i think james and i james even more so but both of us will always want to do our own stuff um, and progress ourselves creatively and, and keep pushing, keep improving. I was just saying to James earlier, actually, I came across an old uh, sketchbook that uh, when I was doing some life drawing classes a few years back, and you can see like the beginnings, they're just all rubbish, like really, really bad. Like I, I'm not an artist, but you know, really, really rubbish, rubbish, rubbish. And then you get to more towards the middle of the book and actually you do see an improvement. There is a, a, a considerable improvement there. And then it's just nothing again because I'd, you know, I'd stopped going or the classes had stopped. And, you know, that's a good metaphor for, or not even a metaphor, it's literal for what we do as creatives. Unless we keep doing and keep pushing ourselves to improve, we don't then improve and we don't see improvement. And I think all of us are looking for, as creatives, we're never truly happy with what we do. A lot of the time we look back and think, oh, I could have done that better. But that's exactly where we should be. We should always be wanting to improve on our skills and our output. Mm. So James and I often, um, we work on our own stuff when we come home. We talk about it all the time. <laughs> so even, um, you know, we'll have a cup of tea in bed in the morning and we're talking about, you know, the these things that we're into or things that we're passionate about all the time. And it's always to do with something to do with his work. He's currently planning out an entire comic for example, <laughs> nothing to do with client work and everything to do with passion. And yeah, I think we would be, we would feel a bit lost if, if we didn't talk about that stuff and didn't have each other to, to talk about that too. Cool. You talked about side projects a lot over the last couple of, well, 10 minutes. So I'm not sure if you're aware we've got the on the side community that are set up probably last summertime, which is for this. So people can go in and just share their side projects and help finish those side projects ah, yes yes i heard you talk about it on one of your other podcasts that must yeah. sign up yeah it'd be great to get you involved but sam hardacre who's part of that community he's also trying to create a comic and he's he's recently had a baby like literally in the last month so he's, he's aware of his capacity but he's, he's still got these goals and throughout the year to go right i've got a stand in this at this comic con i've got this session set up and i think giving him those sort of short-term goals help focus 
even though you've got to be really mindful of capacity when you've got babies to look after (laughs) physical things people the harder part of life yeah keeping something alive is hard yeah so um it'll be really interesting to see how james gets on with his comic actually because i've I've noticed there's a big rise of people trying to create their own things um, yeah yeah absolutely i mean he's he's been passionate about it for a long time He, he started and not finished a lot of comics over his career but this one is a definite shift in um it will it will happen are you going to be that wife you're going to make your yeah. <laughs> well it's actually linked to another business that we have together it hasn't traded yet but we this is part of um the start of the the world building the storytelling and and and, and building the background to to this whole new world that we're creating so um again so i'm super secretive because i can't i'm not allowed to talk about what we're actually going to do for the business yeah but James is putting, he will be putting out the comic this year. Um, and, you know, it's um, it's under the, the brand of Starcade. So James put out a number of small prints a number of years ago under the term of Starcade. And he, he drew um, wrestlers and um, all of his favourite wrestlers. And that went into, you know, other film geekery. And that's where it started. But actually, we've we've ended up wanting to use the the name and actually build a business from it. Uh, nothing to do with his prints and where it was, but we've we've turned it into something else. And we've been working on it for the last three years really quietly <laughs> um, on and off. But again, you know, sometimes these things do take time. You know, we've got certain friends like going back to Thomas who are like, you know, when's Starcade coming out? When's it happening? You know, super excited for us. But we're like, yeah, actually, we've we've put it on the back burner again for a little while because we're working on this thing, which is then feeds into it. And, you know, sometimes when you do do your own projects, you know, you can you can have that luxury of we can totally take our time with this. There is no rush to market. It is a passion project. And let's take the time and make sure that it's as good as it can be so that when it does come out in future, we don't then look back and regret, you know, mm, what it is. No, I know what you mean. Although I think you could fall into the trap of it never being perfect because you are your own <laughs> worst critic. So it might be worth getting feedback from others to go, this looks awesome. Go, go, go. Yeah, yeah. We've been asking family and friends their, their feedback and we will be doing some um, some proper, you know, uh, user testing and stuff in future. But for now, we're, we're, we're quite happy just working on it. It's a passion project now. Hopefully it'll be a business in future. Nice. It must be great having a shared project with your partner, though. It's oh, it's so- wonderful. Yeah, we really, we really love it. It's actually the only thing that we get. We don't really argue. We're one of those sickly couples that just don't really have. We're so, both of us are so laid back and just like, well, what do you want to do? Oh, well, I'm easy. What do you want to do? But when it comes to this business or what will be a business, it's the only thing that we get heated and argumentative about, which is brilliant because we we need that, you know, we, we need we need to bring opposing opinions to it to make it the best it can be. But we we laugh so much at the fact that it's the only thing that we argue over. It's great. <laughs> it's good. It's good. There's, there's still a passion there as well. Yeah. Right. We've talked a hell of a lot about work, side projects and stuff like that. What the hell do you do to relax? I know you do walking, you like to take photos of land escapes um how the hell do you relax yeah to be honest Sai, i this is something i'm working on because okay. i am such a workaholic that i forget that i need another side to my life often so it's something that i'm continually working on well james and i we both go to the gym a lot and now that we're in one place the last few years as i say going back and forth has been quite hard to have any sort of routine in our life so mm. 
now that we do for the last three months we've like really like loved the fact that we've got a normal boring routine <laughs> so um we've taken advantage of that and um going to the gym twice a week simple thing but um and also going in the morning rather than the evening mm. so I don't then make excuses of not to go so going before work feel really good when I get to work you know then we know you can just go home at the end of the day and it's done and yeah getting out for those longer walks and I still love taking landscape photography but that took a complete uh, it went on the back burner for the entire time from starting the shop back in you know 2013-14 all the way to kind of recently uh, quite honestly because yeah life just took over in a slightly insane manic way in the way that then I wasn't taking photos for pleasure anymore it was like oh I need something to post and I'm not one you know I'm I'm not a very good person on social media I don't I don't overshare I don't really like sharing and you know I'm, I'm certainly not comfortable on camera I I'm quite a I don't really like people knowing where I am <laughs> and um, I'm quite um, I'm quite a private person so in that context I haven't done a lot of landscape photography for pleasure for quite a while so this year I'm actually really looking forward to getting back into it. So the few times that I have taken my camera out, aside from my iPhone, but when I've taken my actual camera out and spent time in places that I've visited with the camera, I've loved nothing more. So it's definitely one of my resolutions to do that a lot more this year. And luckily, I've got quite a lot of travel coming up this year as well, which also it always helps. You know, if you've got something new to look at, you get so used to, you know, your own surroundings. I live in the northeast. It's beautiful. I'm 10 minutes from the sea. I'm 10 minutes from, uh, you know, national parks and amazing mountains and countryside. Do I go all the time? No. <laughs> and I absolutely should. But, you know, sometimes traveling is the thing that can then, you know, kick that back off again and get that passion back. So I always want my photography to be for pleasure because mm. I don't have enough things that I don't <laughs> I I often say about myself that I'm I'm quite bad in turning anything that I do into a business rather than just keeping it as a pleasurable thing that I love to do so yeah I'm quite determined to do more of that this year I will hold you account to that as well I hope that's not too far down your list of all the things to do and get it back up the top but at least it's someone to hold me accountable for it definitely I'll do my best <laughs> and yeah going back on the point about you being quite not private I mean you're doing this so I feel privileged now that you're joining the podcast to put yourself out there and being very authentic about what you're doing as well it's nice to hear some true feelings in what you're talking about some people yeah use it as an opportunity just to go look at me everyone I'm amazing and you should work with me and you're not doing that at all yeah I think well I think I've always been um very aware of that and I never want to come across as that and I think that's why I quit going back to you know the speaking stuff it's why I questioned it so much in those mm. past years of why am I doing this am I doing it for the right reasons um I'm, I'm very aware of that and these days, you know, with um, social media being the way that it is and marketing being the way that it is and everyone being on camera and everyone wanting our attention all the time, I, I might be, you know, a detriment to myself for that reason because I'm not overly sherry <laughs> or comfortable with everyone knowing what I'm doing all the time. But at the same time, you know, we only get one life and we should live it in the way that we feel comfortable and we shouldn't live it in the way that the current society or the current state of social media wants us to you know it is our life at the end of the day and if we can get back you know I have wonderful clients I earn you know enough money and I'm, I'm happy with that I don't then need to you know go out and 
and scream and shout and get everyone's attention all the time. It makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> you said the, the perfect word there, you're happy. You know, you've been through all this stuff. You've learned what you can and can't do, what you enjoy. And now you're happy. You're settled with James, Newcastle, and you don't need to worry about traveling and all that other stuff. So you, you, it sounds like you're in a good place. I feel like we need to catch up again later in the year to uh, see how things are going. But before I wrap it up, have you got any tips for anyone who's, you know, trying to get into the design industry and what would be your number one tip that you wish you'd heard all those years ago? I'm sure there's loads, but um, a couple of main ones. Make sure that you get as much experience as you can first before you start working for yourself, because we, we live in this world that, you know, we can do anything. We can become a YouTube star. We can work from home. We can play games for a living. That's all well and good, but actually the thing that you're going to get the most out of and that's going to do you well in future is understanding how a business works or a structure works or agency model, whatever it is that you're into, working for other people and taking as much as you can from them and getting that experience and, and understanding their day-to-day -day, um, and is really super important. And... I, I sometimes I wonder whether that six years in industry was enough for me and I, I often you know consider going back in uh, and dipping my foot back in to think you know do I need a bit more of that I think it's it's super important and we shouldn't ever forget that you know just how much we can learn from that experience yeah so do you know work for other people don't see that as a bad thing that's a wonderful thing yes if you want to work for yourself that's great plan for it for the future but have a plan first and the only way that you can really plan good for that is you know is to is to get the experience from other people see how other people do it right but also see how they do it wrong so yeah i think uh, that that's kind of my number one for for young younger people trying to get into things and then secondly just don't try to just imitate other people try and find your own voice i love you know i see that a lot of younger people and um designers getting into things you know imitating other people for practice for skills to get the skills that they want and that's great that's completely separate that's wonderful do that as much as you can like work on your skill level that's wonderful but when it comes to you know your own work and things try not to look at other people and compare or you know do the same things as other people just try and find your own voice so I felt really comfortable at this uncomfortable about who I am for years in terms of I saw myself as really boring <laughs> a really boring designer who likes systems and what I've actually come to realize in my slightly older years is no that's great I am someone who really really enjoys constraint who enjoys um, building out systems I'm so meticulous about everything that I give to a client for example you know a lot of agencies love that big thinking stuff creating the initial brand and all of the different ways that we can push that out you know in in the interiors or in murals or in you know the marketing campaigns but they're not interested in building the templates that people use day to day or the everyday stuff that they use I love building that stuff for people so as much as and I've kind of I've started to become more comfortable with that and I think that's really important to start to realize just look internally at what do you enjoy so I enjoy physical layout, grids, systems, all of that kind of stuff. And I love one color simplified logo marks from, you know, the, the perfect stuff that, you know, it absolutely works as one symbol in black and white. Like that's the kind of stuff that really it turns me on. Love it. 
don't let you know try and then just run with that or mix it with I love photography so what would it look like if I mix my photography with my design style try and find something that is natural to you rather than unnatural so if you're really really into uh I don't know trolls (laughs) um but you also love cycling like how can you use that in your creative work you don't need to look you don't need to create you know pockets of things you as a person are already interested, uh, likely interested in a whole number of things. What does that mashup look like? Because everyone, you know, you are uniquely you. So mm. what can you do with that? Nice one. So be authentic, be be true to yourself. Yeah. Use it to your advantage as well. Absolutely. Good work. We've run out of time, I think. So we should probably <laughs> wrap it up. How can our audience list get hold of you? Where should they look for your stuff? And what should we keep an eye out for? Yeah, you can follow me at branded by naomi on twitter and on instagram and it's brandedbynaomi.com to check out my work and contact me at hello at brandedbynaomi.com wonderful we put all that in the show notes as well thank you ever so much for joining me today i've really enjoyed this conversation and i'm hoping everyone that listens does as well and i don't think we'll, we'll be, have you as a stranger anymore we'll definitely get you back i would love that so yeah you can check up on me thank you i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be like that lurky but <laughs> <laughs> cool all right then naomi let's leave it there and thanks for joining us thanks for having me our pleasure thank you to everyone for listening and especially naomi for joining me for this episode of the make life work podcast as naomi suggested she's available as branded by naomi on most social channels or you could just email hello at brandedbynaomi.com as we discussed there's also our on the side community network where you can join me and some other side project fans to talk about what we're making head on over to onthesideeetwork to just join in that group you can also find all the details about this podcast and other episodes on sidejobbling.com slash make life work or just look for make life work on all the socials we are also available on all the popular podcast apps so make sure you subscribe rate and review so we know what you think of it that's all from me join me next time when i'll be inviting along another guest to talk about balancing their work life and side projects on the make life work podcast